0: And we're all part and in, in engaged in some level of spiritual leadership. Some of you are leading Sunday school classes, and some of you are, are elders in this room, and you're leading a, a church, and some of you are, are small group leaders, and you are leading a small group, and, and some of you have jobs, and hopefully a lot of you have jobs, and, and you go to work and you're a Christian, and at work you are a spiritual leader and and think about how that works as you go to work whether it's at the shop or at the office and and people know you go to church on Sunday and they look at you and they they're following you maybe not around all the time but they know that this person claims claims Christ and and well what are they doing and and so you're part of spiritual leadership and you're either leading people to Christ or you're leading them away from Christ. But either way, that's spiritual leadership for good or for bad. And we need to take that seriously. If your parents or grandparents, you've got children at home, you know that you are actively involved in spiritual leadership. Your children will grow up and chances are pretty good that they will follow you in the way that you live out your faith. And so you're engaged in that really important role of spiritual leadership. People in the church, there's children here and they come to church and they're, they're following you and they're watching you. And, and from some of you, they get this distinct impression that church is like the highlight of your week and you just delight in being here. And you're the kind of people that children, they look for and they, they find you and they want to say hi. Others of you We get this distinct impression that this is a great inconvenience. And you're not real happy to be here. And they notice that too. And so we're all leading in one direction or another spiritually. Samuel is a great example of good spiritual leadership. As a matter of fact, he's one of the, I think, the most solid characters in all of Scripture. And yet, poor Samuel's kids, we know, they did not seem to follow their father's footsteps. Saul really just kind of failed uh, all around. And the text in my mind that, that really speaks to Saul's life is not found in the story. And so this is going to be one week where we're going to jump out of the story and just into the text. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel 15. Because when I think of Saul's life, this is the story that comes to my mind. And in 1 Samuel 15, if you want to turn there, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and share the story from the first ten verses. But in, in Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 15... God gives gives Saul a charge. He says, You are going to be my divine agent of judgment against the uh, Amalekites. And you are going to go and destroy all of the Amalekites. Uh, You're going to destroy the people, men, women, children. You're going to destroy the animals, the sheep, the oxen, the goats. You're going to destroy everything. It is all dedicated essentially as an offering to God, a sacrifice. Uh, it's all under the ban the way the Jericho was. And so please be sure to destroy everything. Now, for a lot of us, we have a hard time hearing that. We don't like hearing the judgment talk. We have a hard time understanding why God would would command such a difficult thing. This morning, we don't have time to talk about that, but we did talk about that when we looked at the story of Joshua and Jericho. And so if you've got questions about that, I'd encourage you to maybe catch that sermon um, where we talked about that uh, here at length on Sunday morning. But, but this morning, we're just going to have to accept that, that Saul's commanded with this task of God's judgment in eliminating all these people. And so we pick up here in verse 10 uh, that Saul has not done that. As a matter of fact, verse 9 lets us know that Saul killed all of the people except the king. They kind of kept him as a trophy. And the fatlings and the lambs and all that was valuable would not destroy those. They kept all the good stuff. The people, they had no regard for them. Uh, They kept the good stuff. And let's just pause for a second. Why is it that the animals are killed? I mean, this is a a judgment against sin. And in, I think, a lot of ways, this almost represents a sacrifice for that sin. Uh, Verse 10, we get God's commentary here. The Lord of the Lord came to Samuel, and he says, I regret that I made Saul king. And that's just a strong verse. You think all the way back to Genesis 6, verse 6, where God regrets making humanity and then sends the flood to, to wipe Wipe them out and start over. And here it says, I regret that I made Saul king. And I I take from this verse that God can appoint us to places of leadership, uh, whether it's teachers or ministers or elders or parents, and then later look at the way that we've done things and say, you know what, I regret that. And that's a hard reality to live with. But he does. He says, I regret that I made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And Samuel was told Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself. And on returning, he passed down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to Saul, Saul said to him, May you be blessed by the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? In the lowing of cattle that I hear, Saul lies to Samuel. He says, oh, may you be blessed by God. Hey, listen, I've done everything you've told me to do. You know, I wiped out the people, did all this. God said this and here, it's good. And, and Samuel calls me, says, well, then why do I hear the sheep? And why do I hear the cows? And Saul said, well, they brought them from the Amalekites. You know, the people, they, they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle too." To uh, to, uh, to sacrifice, you know, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest, we've utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Have you ever just been in a conversation where that's really the only word? You just, you hear nonsense and you just like, stop. Just stop it. You're not fooling me. You're not fooling anybody. Just Shut your mouth, because I'm going to tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He replied, Speak. Verse 17, Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission, and said, Go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil... And do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Samuel here is calling Saul out saying, Hey, listen, you know, it looks good to the people, but God's not impressed. God's not impressed. As a matter of fact, God regrets making you king. God regrets leaders that turn from following him. He just does. God puts people into leadership positions, and then when they turn from following him, they're, God's grieved by that. And Saul here turns from following God. He turns to serving his own interests. Notice he has no regard for human life. He wipes that out, but the good stuff, man, he keeps that. He keeps the valuable stuff for himself. It seems that he's turned and he's just serving him. Now, he likes the appearance of religiosity. If you were reading in the story, then you went across a story that's in 1 Samuel 13 where Samuel tells Saul, listen, before you go into battle, we're going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to offer a sacrifice, Saul, and I want you to wait here for me so we can do that. Well, Saul waits, becomes impatient. The people get nervous. And Saul has no regard for the command of God, but he wants to have the appearance of God's blessing. And so 1 Samuel 13 tells us that he offers the sacrifice himself. He, he makes the sacrifice himself, which is completely uh, unauthorized and not what God wants. Now, for us, you know, any one of us can go worship God. But at that time, certain people consecrated priests did that. And Saul has no regard for God, but he wants that veneer. He wants to look good. And so when Samuel comes to meet him, he's not obeyed God, but he says, you know, what? hey, listen, I have obeyed God. I've done half of it at least, and half of it's better than none, and... Well, you know, that makes me look pretty good. I've done the things that God's wanted me to do. In, in Haiti, when the earthquake came, you'll remember it took so many people's lives and it just destroyed cities. Even the nicer houses that were made with cinder block were destroyed, and building folks from America went down there to try to help them rebuild and maybe get some building codes that, that would help. And, and they discovered the reason so many of these buildings failed. They would take these cinder blocks and put them together with concrete, but they would mix the concrete with a lot of beach sand because they wanted it to go longer. Now, you know how how great beach sand is. If you've ever made a sandcastle, it gets dry and it just turns to powder. Um, You start to dilute a lot of concrete with beach sand and you get a lot of the same effect, although it looks a little more like concrete. And that's what they'd done. They'd mixed all this beach sand together in this concrete. So that when it started to shake, it just just disintegrated. Another problem was that that beach sand has a lot of salt in it. And the little bit of steel reinforcement they had in those walls was completely corroded because it had come in contact with all of the salt. And so these buildings were just decimated like sandcastles. Now, if you looked at them, they may have been painted. They may have looked nice. They may have been decorated. But it was just decorating a wall made of sand. And I think in a lot of ways that's Saul's life. Saul is completely unstable. Saul is completely unanchored. Saul is a mess. He's a wreck. But man, from the outside, he looks so good. And here this morning, all of us in in Sunday Best, man, we look good, don't we? But the question is, what is on the inside? That's the most important part. What's on the inside? Are we as unstable as Saul? Uh, Saul... When he's confronted by Samuel, notice what he says to him. Saul said to Samuel in verse 20, after he's been called out on his sin, he says this, he says, "'Well, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. "'I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. "'I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, "'and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. "'But from the spoil the people took sheep and cattle, "'the best of the things avoided to destruction.'" To sacrifice to the Lord your God. Do you hear Saul saying, Well, no, wait a second. I I did what you told me. I did what you told me. Saul, I think, isn't just trying to lie to Samuel. I I think he believes it. I think Saul is self-deceived. Saul's fooled himself. He's had a lot of practice doing it. And church, that's us too. You know, you can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. You can trick yourself into thinking that that everything that you're doing is okay or it's good enough, but it's not. You can't fool God because God sees through that. And God knows what's on the inside. Now, when WorldCom fell into bankruptcy, the CEO there was indicted for, at that point in time... The, the largest accounting scandal in America. Now, since, it's, it's only got like the bronze medal. Um, I mean, we're only talking $11 billion that like evaporated, um, you know, so nothing big in comparison to lots of other scandals that we've seen lately. Uh, but, but the CEO, when he was uh, charged and he's getting ready to be sentenced, he sends a letter through his lawyer to the judge and he says, you know, hey, listen, I'm 62. I've, I've been a pretty good guy you know, I love my family, I love my grandkids, I've given lots of money to other groups, and I've even given a lot of it anonymously. And and the phrase that stuck out to me as I read through that news account this week is, surely that should count for something. Surely that should count for something. I I think this man had so uh, self-deceived himself, he had fooled himself so much, that he thought, you know what, this really isn't that bad. In the scheme of things, 62 years, $11 billion spread out over 62 years. Come on now, that's got to count for something. And the judge said, no. Since him to 25 years, he'll be 87 before he's eligible to be released. Church, but that's us. You know, we have tricked ourselves and we look at all the other things we do and the good things we do and say, well, you know, that's got to count for something and this has got to count here and, and, and you know, that ought to mean something and this counts and, and that stuff over there, this is little. This is little stuff. The big stuff, well, that's good stuff, and that's, that's what counts. And we're fooling ourselves. Now, now, let me tell you the truth. If you've been in church for a while, and you sat through a lot of Sunday school, and, and you're educated in Christ, and you're educated in the Bible, let me tell you that you are especially susceptible to the self-deception. Now, you also have a greater ability for great transformation but the more we know about god's word and the longer we've been in church the easier it is to fool ourselves because we've got lots of verses that we can kind of use to justify things and and our cleverness we use to kind of explain things away and if we've been in church for a long time then then man we know how to talk the talk and we know how to walk the walk and the longer you've been in church the easier it is to fool yourself and so this morning, some of you here maybe are fooling yourselves. And you're saying, you know, this is okay. And it's not. It's just not. You trick yourself, but you're not going to trick God. Samuel calls Saul out on this. And, and in what becomes later, I think, a great recurring theme uh, throughout the Scriptures, particularly um, uh, later in Israel's history, we see what God really wants God doesn't want the show. God doesn't want the religion. He wants something deeper. He wants obedience to what He's commanded. So verse 22 says this. Samuel said, "'Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord?' surely to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now this morning, probably none of you brought a ram for sacrifice here. And the fat of ram really kind of just doesn't do much for you when it comes to thinking of worship. You're not thinking of that. sounds more like barbecue talk than God talk, but it's God talk here. And if I could take this from their setting and put it into ours simply stated is this has the lord as great delight in worship as in obedience to the voice of the lord in other words if if you come here on sunday morning to dress it up and then monday through saturday you live as you please god says i, I don't want that as a matter of fact don't even bother don't even bother coming listen, to obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, to live as a true follower of Christ Monday through Saturday and never darken the door of a church on Sunday is better than to show up on Sunday alone. That's the word. Verse 23 explains it. It says, well, rebellion is no less a sin than divination. In other words, if you rebel against God, it's as though you have discovered a better way. You have discerned a better truth than God's truth. And God says, you know, that's the same as if you were to try to go to a medium and figure out something else. Stubbornness, the NIV translates it, arrogance, is like iniquity and idolatry. Think about that for a second. Some people really take pride in being stubborn. Oh, I'm immovable. I'm stubborn. And I'm a stubborn person. And what God is saying here, listen, if you're stubborn and you refuse to change and yield and be transformed, you are holding yourself up as God because you're saying, I'm going to do it my way in no other way. And that's idolatry. He calls it out right here. He says, rebellion is no less a sin than divination. Stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. And because, Saul, you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Church, this morning, God is interested most of all in our obedience. More than the religiosity, more than anything else, God says, I want you to hear my words, and I want you to put them into practice, and I want you to live like you mean it. More than the garb of religion, I want you to obey. Uh, (laughs) How does this all come back to Baby Dedication Sunday? Well... Yesterday, I had a great example of this. You know, because you can fool yourself, but you can't fool kids. Anybody with me on that? You know, you can try to sell it and spin it, and this is great, and they're going to look at you and be like, it's not great. They see right through that, and they'll call you on it. Yesterday, um, it was me and the kids, uh, the two older kids. Miles was sleeping. And Caleb kept rocking in this rocking chair and hitting the wall with it now in our house We've got like three gallons of leftover paint from when they built it and we're getting through it quickly because of instances like this And it just drives me crazy. And so whack 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 Don't don't hit the wall And he just jumps back in that chair again not thinking and hits it again. I said stop hitting the wall Few minutes go by. He jumps back in the chair again. I say, "What are you doing? You're hitting the wall." And Bailey goes, "Hey, wait, Dad, you're you're awfully upset about this wall. <laughs> go to your room <laughs> and move the chair and stop hitting the wall." But you know, you, you, you they, they cut through and they say, "You know, really, what's? It's just a wall, huh?" Thanks. You know, that's, that's it. You know, church, if you've got kids and you think that this half-Christianity veneer you've got is going to mean anything to them, you're, you're kidding yourself. You're just kidding yourself. You can fool yourself. You're not going to fool God. And you're not going to fool your kids. And so this morning, our, our worship team is going to come up. We're going to give you a chance to make that serious commitment to obedience in Christ And maybe you've got the great veneer, but today you say, you know what, I want to make it legit.